Stay tuned to our conversation with painter Jacqueline Sullivan. Travel plays an important part in her creative process. Welcome to Art Ladders, The Creative Climb with Valerie Allen and Armin Mersman. This podcast is focused on interviews, features, and stories about art. It's for artists and art lovers. I'm Val. I'm the abstract artist in the group, joined by Armin, the realist. Hello out there in podcast land. This is Val Allen with Art Ladders, along with Armin Mersman. This is our 42nd episode. And Armin, are you set for this 42nd round here? I am set for it, yes. Super. Our guest today is Jacqueline Sullivan. She is joining us. She is based in Cincinnati, a painter in that uh, world, but she travels all over the world. And we're going to hear a lot about that. And Jacqueline and I have been friends for a while through the Golden Artist Colors uh, programs for artists. And I just want to say hello, Jacqueline. How are you? Hi there. I'm doing fine. Thank you. Great. We uh, are curious about your beginnings as an artist. We've never really discussed that before. I'd love to hear. Before we start, Jacqueline and I, we actually uh, were in a class together at Manifest Drawing Center when I had my residency there. What was the name of that class again? Uh, Drawing as Mindfulness. That Drawing as Mindfulness. Mm -hmm. It was a very interesting class. Uh, I couldn't get the junk out of my head, though. Oh. (laughs) That was tough, but uh, I enjoyed it very much, and it was great to meet you there. Thank you. Yeah, I enjoyed meeting you as well, and I, I enjoyed the drawing exercises. It had been a long time. Yeah, yeah. Excellent. Going back to basics, we did. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, so your beginnings. Back My, to that. I've always known that I wanted to be an artist. Um, when people, when I was, I remember being really little and people asking me, "What are you going to be when you grow up?" And I'd say, "An artist." And uh, there never was anything else in my mind that I wanted to be. And I always was super aware of color. I have a memory of standing in front of my closet as must have just been like a toddler and stopping my foot saying, no, I will not wear that brown dress. I wanted to dress with bright colors. And I asked for my room. They painted my room like a deep rose magenta color. And I loved it. When they painted over it in blue, I used to be able to pick out the little specks on the wall that didn't quite get covered of my favorite color in that rose magenta color. So it's just always been in me. I've never known anything else. As I got older, when I would say I wanted to be an artist, my father was a businessman and he would say commercial artist. So that's how I ended up in college. I was in a graphic design program. Mm-hmm. How great. I love where, that. Fashion. Where did you go to school? <laughs> I just went to Sinclair Community College in Dayton, Ohio. Mm-hmm. Uh, I visited almost every other college in the state of Ohio for class here and class there. Mm-hmm. Uh, but um, I started at Ohio University and I quit and got married when I was 19 years old. Mm-hmm. Um, so then I went back to school while I was having my children. Wow. Okay. Did you, um, you know, that graphic arts angle, did you have positions in that then as a career or 
Is it um, not in the beginning? Because I my kids were babies when I graduated, and so um, it actually was the beginning of my teaching career um, because the college asked me to come back and teach. So I taught in the program for like twelve years. Oh, really? design and lettering and typography for them. Um, but um, I wasn't practicing at all because I had the kids at home, and that's how calligraphy came up because I could pick up freelance jobs in calligraphy. Oh. And the advertising art. Interesting. Uh, yes. And I'm, I'm familiar with your calligraphy and it is amazing. And I, um, I'm so curious about different font styles and stuff, even now in my, in my painting world. Did, did that carry over for you a bit? Yes. I, and that was, so I said my father was a businessman and he would ask me to do signs for his business. And the, the area that I grew up here in Cincinnati on the West side is a lot of family owned businesses. Mm-hmm. And so I saw the signs I did for my dad and I was just like 12, 13 years old. They, I was using stencils and they'd asked me to do signs for their businesses. And I was using a, one of those little stiff paintbrushes from Woolworths and my brother's uh, modeling enamel for his models. So <laughs> when I got to high school and they handed me a speedball pen, and it made all the angles and it made the letters just right. I thought I'd died and gone to heaven. Oh, isn't that something? Yeah, that was all pre, uh, pre-internet and pre-all of that, wasn't pre, it? Pre-cold type in the um, advertising industry. You know, everything was still being set in hot lead. Mm-hmm. Yes. And I know friends of mine, cursive is kind of a thing of the past now as well. And I, I just love to look at beautiful cursive writing and that sort of thing. And I don't know. There's just something fascinating about words. Are your writing skills as good as your calligraphy skills? People comment on my handwriting all the time. I mean, it can be really messy, but for the most part, I, I try to write neatly and I enjoy writing. I just, you know, I use a fountain pen and I, I enjoy my list making and, and any kind of cursive writing. My handwriting now is a, Kind of a combination of an Italian calligraphy hand and a, and a, a Western cursive hand, but um, mm-hmm. um, I really do enjoy the exercise of just writing, making a list, writing out stuff. And um, I've been diagnosed with ADD, and I think um, it helps me learn stuff when I write it as opposed to hearing it. Yeah. So mm-hmm. when I'm planning a class or doing anything, I pretty much will write it out by hand and then put it into the computer. Mm. Well, that's a good practice. I, I can't even read my own handwriting. It's terrible. <laughs> I can't read it either, Arvid. I know. <laughs> wow. Do you, yes. do you yeah. writing world where, you know, it's asymantic. It's not supposed to be read. So you've got a one up on everybody else trying to do mark making, mark making in their paintings with the asymic writing. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Do you journal every day, Jacqueline? I don't. Um, I keep an art journal. Um, oh, and yeah. I, I paint in it and I write quotes in it. Mm-hmm. Word of the year every year. Oh, and what's your word? My word this year is um, uh, connection. Connection. It goes back to those dinner parties I was talking about. Oh. Um, so the, um, that word goes in every painting I do for the year. And a lot of times it's just written on the canvas or the substrate and then I paint over it. But sometimes I'll use it in an assembly way, a non-legible way within my paintings. But I look up quotes about that word on the web 
Mm-hmm. I write them in my art journal with my paintings. So it becomes an ongoing sort of a meditation, particularly if I haven't been in my studio for a while. Mm-hmm. I will, mm-hmm. That will help get me back into it. It goes back to the drawing as mindfulness that we were talking about. I mean, um, it, it gets me back into the creative mindset. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I've been doing that for like four years now. And um, it really works for me. It really mm-hmm really puts me into that mindset and it really helps me meditate on what I want to accomplish in life as well as in my art life. Oh, I love that idea. We have one courage. We actually did a podcast on it. I think the podcast before this one on the word courage. And, and so I I think having a word like that, we had one year before too, didn't we Val? Yes. I'm trying to remember. That one was, I believe, momentum. Uh, I could be wrong on that. I get mixed up because I think the word was you're on mute. So I'm on mute. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Oh boy. You know, and it's funny, Jacqueline, when you when you put that world or that word connected out there, uh, or we for us it would have it's the word courage, all these quotes and things start popping up that I never knew artists they were all artist quotes as well they connect right. to the words right and that's what um I've, I've always loved words um mm-hmm. and so being able to combine words with my painting has been really um wonderful for me oh. and and I use it in many ways I mean sometimes they do formal calligraphy within the paintings um, mm-hmm. um I teach calligraphers how to paint a lot and mark make um okay and um, so it, um, the word is really, and I, I talk about it in my classes. It's, it's not, it's a personal thing, but it's something that I think is important to share with the world to sort of influence. Mm-hmm. Not so much for me, I want to influence other people and trying it and, and doing it. And sometimes I'll forget for, you know, a month or two and then I'll just, oh, my word, my word. I got to get back to my word. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's so good to talk to you about that, that idea, because it gives it kind of reinforces what we're doing, you know, with, with our word as well. So good ideas, good ideas on that. And then with your mark making, you know, as a calligrapher move as who is also a painter, you probably just like me, marks can be so personal and they need to be very um, almost done subconsciously would, is that something you feel? It doesn't look real to me if it's forced. Let's put it that way. Right, right. If it's forced, it you can see it that's forced. It's, yes. um, so my marks are mostly organic type marks. So they're mm-hmm. more writing marks. Um, and I encourage people to work uh, from their shoulder and their spine. If your wrist gets involved in making an organic mark, you don't get the nice curves. So our body is designed on the golden mean. And if mm-hmm. we use our body within that mark, you'll get a beautiful, organic, wonderful mark. Um, and even if you're making straight lines, if you're making hashtags, if you get your body involved in it, there is a transference from our body to the painting somehow. I don't know how, I'm not a new age person, but somehow when I look at a painting, and, and Val, yours reminds me of this. There is an energy to the marks that um, translates to a lot of the viewers. Um, and I think it's when they get the sense of that mark making and that um, interchange of energy is when they're attracted to the paintings. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank you very much for that, because I do. I'm very 
very aware of my body. I've never heard it explained to me like you just did. That's very, very helpful for me and other artists to hear. The, the reason the energy comes out from using your whole body to make the mark. Right. And then people put extensions on their brushes. You know, they put the brush on the end of a dowel stick and, and that forces you to not use your wrist. It forces you to use your whole body. Mm-hmm. And, and um, I'll draw, a, I call them a studied mark. I'll draw a, a studied mark where I'm just using like my wrist and my hand. And then I'll do a, a mark with my shoulder and my spine and just show people the difference and have them try to feel the difference. And that's feeling is, is the thing. You have to feel mm-hmm. that difference. Well, you also uh, get accidental process, which then that mark will make you think of a different kind of mark. And, uh, you know, it's not as planned. Now, for me, I use the wrist a lot because I'm doing very detailed drawings kind of things. Yeah. But yeah. If, I, if I was drawing with charcoal, I would have to use my shoulder. And I have a really bad shoulder, so I can't, I can't even imagine that. But you know, with charcoal, you're standing up and you're using that kind of thing. So you can get these better this action kind of feel this you know the mark of the artist there than when I noodle around and do a very detailed kind of thing mm-hmm. well I think too like with your your pencil drawing over a period of time your mark integrates itself into your body sure and and you get as you get into smaller marks you get into smaller motions so that would mm-hmm. go down to the wrist but you don't need the wrist to make a small graphite detailed mark that you need it when you're trying to make this organic mm-hmm. something that looks like handwriting right, people, right why do you use words in your marks i tell people well i want you to use a word but i don't want you to be able to read it and people don't understand it but if somebody there's a lot of people out there that have copied my work but i can tell that they're just scribbling the marks they're not they don't have a word in mind so mm-hmm. when you have a word in mind that the um, rhythm of your handwriting that you've done all your life is going to come through and it's in, again, it's going to have more of a natural sense than if you're just scribbling. And also when you're scribbling and you don't know which way you're going to go, there's a slight hesitation in your mark because you've got to stop and think, am I going up or am I going down? But where if, if you've got a word in mind, you know which way the letter goes. So, Are you can, your words meant to be read as something or are they part of the design or are they a little bit of both? Um, it's all of the above. Mm-hmm. Um, Sometimes there's a word that I want people to see and read mm-hmm. and I'll pull that out. And sometimes I'll pull it out with formal calligraphy um, and write it on the very top of the painting. Um, mm-hmm. Many times I've got one calligraphic work that's like 12 layers on it. And uh, the background is the poem, the desiderata, but you can't read anything out of the desiderata. But on the very end, I took the words nurture yourself and believe in yourself uh, mm-hmm. from the Dorada, and I superimposed them onto the top of the painting. Okay. I wanted people to get that sense from that painting. Mm-hmm. You know, while I'm listening to you, Jacqueline, I kind of just with my arm kind of, you said to imagine the word and scribble it instead. It makes a huge difference than just scribbling. Just that, just that action rhythm in it and, and then you alter it extend your ascenders and extend your descenders the, the letters that go oh, up and down yes and, and, um, and then squish i squish the letters together mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. on top of one another which anything that will help kill the legibility and no um, capital letters and small letters and no um 
interlinear spacing, no punctuation. Um, I, I throw all that out the door and hmm. just do the writing. This well, I think in a world today when we get fonts, you know, all kinds of fonts in Photoshop, including full calligraphic fonts, <laughs> you can really tell that. And uh, between somebody who has their own language in, in creating calligraphy, um, you know, I, I think I think we battle technology in some ways all the time. Right. That's, that's what has happened in the calligraphic world is that mark making and loose writing has become very important. Um, but it really yeah. makes a difference if people have the background in a formal calligraphy. It's just like exactly. having a background in drawing and doing an abstract painting. It definitely helps. So yeah, I actually had a tattoo done and it was calligraphy and, and I didn't want to choose some font. So I went to a calligrapher and she designed that and then they put that on there. Well, okay, yeah. Yeah, a lot of calligraphers do that uh, mm -hmm. type. Tell Jackie what the tattoo says. She'd get a kick out of that. Uh, it says, whatever, the soup is getting cold, Leonardo da Vinci. Um, that was the last thing he wrote in his last journal the day before he died. He said, whatever, the soup is getting cold. And wow. so on his 500th year anniversary of his death, and I was in Cincinnati at the time, I had that put on my arm. Mm -hmm. Jacqueline, when you're painting and doing your projects, are you listening to music? Because I find your work very rhythmic, very lyrical. Sometimes I do, um, but um, but I'm always aware of my body rhythms mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. when I'm painting. Um, but, um, yeah, I listen to Pandora sometimes, but sometimes mm -hmm. I'm just having a conversation. Like my studio, I have a studio mate that's kind of chatty. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And she'll be talking and, and they're good conversations. I'm not complaining, um, mm -hmm. but um, but I want to work. So I'll just pull the canvas out and I'll just chat it away while I'm working. And those are the best because that's the easiest way to put your mind out of it is oh. to have something else dominate your mind. Isn't that true to get to to get out of our way, really. <laughs> That's great. Yeah, yeah, I really encourage people to paint intuitively and mm -hmm. have a plan. And you, you you end up with, you know, critiquing your work and changing things design-wise, et cetera. But I want you to start intuitively and not worry about where do you put your brush down next, you know, mm -hmm. just put it down there somewhere. Your, your, let your instinct guide you. Mm -hmm. Wow. And that ties into a question I'm, I've been wanting to ask you, Jacqueline, about um, your teaching philosophy and what you're talking about. That is your philosophy, right? Yes, I think so. Um, it's it's a different way of painting. It's a difficult thing to teach. Um, mm -hmm. But I describe teaching as people who teach from the outside in and people that teach from the inside out. Mm. So. I've had lots of calligraphy teachers who can teach me how to make a letter form. Mm -hmm. I've had a few calligraphy teachers that can teach me how to make an expressive letter form. Mm -hmm. well, it's the same way in painting. There's lots of teachers that can teach you how to do a realistic painting, to look at a vase of flowers and to draw it and break it down into steps. But there's not very many abstract teachers um, mm -hmm. that can teach you because you have to pull something from the inside of people. That's why the draw. I mean, that's why the drawing is mindfulness program interested me so much because it was in a lot of ways she was um, teaching both ways. She was showing us how to 
get proportions and and see things, but she also was showing us how to go inside and pull that out when we did the meditation sorts of things before and after. So um, yeah, that the teaching philosophy is I want people, I want people to walk out with work that's their own, that mm-hmm. nobody knows that and say, oh, she took a Jacqueline Sullivan class. Mm-hmm. Um, and that um, I want them to get in contact with what they like. I often have them bring pictures of abstract works that they are drawn to mm-hmm. and try to figure out why they're drawn to that work and then incorporate that into their own work. So that, mm-hmm. uh, like I discovered that I was drawn to high contrast work and that was about 10 years ago, maybe 15 years ago. Mm-hmm. And at the time I wasn't, I was putting very little contrast into my works. I was using metallics for contrast. Mm-hmm. And I realized that every painting that I looked at that I loved had a lot of white in it and a lot of darks in it. So I was really drawn to high contrast painting. So I changed my way of painting around till I liked more what I did and was doing more of what I liked. So mm-hmm. once I want students to become analytical about their art world and then push all the analysis out and, and paint. And then just paint. Right. Yeah. But well, I think the analytical part that if you, if you know that it becomes part of you, you don't actually think about it anymore and you start to make marks that if you turn your turn to the left side of your brain will make sense on that level and but it it eventually just comes out of you that way mm-hmm. sometimes when people ask me well how did you think of that composition i said i just, I just felt it it's not right. really the third it's not the golden mean i just felt it so yeah uh, that doesn't please him when i say that but yeah yeah and, and i um, I think calligraphers are very much right brain, left brain people. And that's, I kind of discovered I was kind of right brain, left brain, that I could um, jump into the creativity of it, but then I could analyze it as to why. And I think that's my years of teaching design is mm-hmm. why, why does it work? Why does it not work? What's, you know, is there a focal point? Is there, um, is there not a focal point? Is the texture interesting? You know, it's, um, uh, so, um, but I try to tell people don't create and analyze at the same time. You know, Sister Carita Kent said that in her 12 rules for students. Because mm-hmm. it's two different sides of the brain. So I like you paint, 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 and then stand back and analyze, figure out the next step, then make that step and paint, paint, paint some more until, you know, and you, it slows you down as you're going along because the, the steps become harder and harder to decide what to do next because you're working in the, yourself down into smaller spaces and mm-hmm. uh, smaller strokes and uh, slower thinking. It's harder to come up with the next thing to do until you don't have anything else to do and then you're done. Mm-hmm. Oh, I love Sister Krita Kent. I, I use her in my resources as well. Yeah. It's fun to, fun to hear her brought up. And uh, Jacqueline, you and I met through the Golden uh, Education Programs, and that's been such a fun adventure. Are there other, I believe you're, you're representing some other companies as well, or maybe one other? Like Ampersand, right? Yeah, I work with Ampersand on their education committee. So I took their train, education team, I took their training, paint training. Uh-huh on the different types of boards and, and what they were for. And they provide um, some product for my classes. And then mm-hmm. I work with Silver Brush. Um, and we've had a lot of brush training with Silver Brush. I've learned so much about brushes that I didn't know before. Um, Interesting. 
So those are the primary ones that I that I work with. I do a little bit with um, yeah, Talons and Van Gogh, the Royal. Oh, Royal okay. Um, you do something with gel press too, or yeah, with gel press for a while. Uh-huh. Um, they've their program, and I don't work with them anymore. But okay. Um, but you, yeah. you're familiar with all that medium as well. Yeah. I'm just thinking of all the wonderful, rich resources you bring for your students in your workshops. And I mean, you have them everywhere. Right. I was looking at your current schedule. It is crazy. Where do you head so, to next? It's my living. Um, yeah. yeah. Self-employed for most of my life. So I get very little social security. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I have to have a couple workshops a month to get through the month to pay me. So sure. Um, and what enables me really to do that is my experience with so many media mm-hmm. and I'm a very curious mind. So um, I teach acrylics on fiber art because I, I love sewing and fiber art. And, um, and then that led me into dyes and teaching stuff with the dyes. And um, it just, um, my brother sits in my studio and says, what do you need all this stuff for? Why do you have all this stuff? And it's like, this stuff makes my living because I can load yeah. up the gel press supplies or load up the collage supplies or load up the fiber arts supplies. And, mm-hmm. and um, but it all pretty much comes back to paint and pigments and mm-hmm. that kind of thing. Do you think because you're so versatile in different mediums that it influence your painting will influence this and this will influence your paintings? You were talking about calligraphy and how that influences you, your abstraction. Uh, is, is that fair to say? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, everything influences everything else. And, and mixing it up, that's where the mixed media comes in, is that mm-hmm. I use a lot of pastels and oil pastels and pan pastels in my paintings. Okay. Um, and um, I don't usually do a lot of drawing with pan pastels or um, or pastels, but I definitely use them in with my acrylics. And then I got to figure out how to get them to stick to acrylics. And, mm-hmm. and so, like, you know, I just go on these research beds. I'm like, I have a friend who calls me Google. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I just, she's just not, she's into painting and learning. She goes to workshops, but she's not into the why of it. And I'm into the why. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Explain that a little bit more. What well, do you mean into the why of it? Why does pastels stick to absorbent ground, but not to gesso? Okay. Well, because of the absorbent surface and studying the surface that it's, even though it looks alike in the jar and it looks a lot alike when you put it down on your canvas or surface, but the mm-hmm. reality is, is that gesso has a little bit of a sheen to it when it dries and pastels don't stick to it so well, but they stick really well to absorbent ground. Right. Mm-hmm. So, but it's you know somebody could tell me that and I could quote it and there's a lot of misquotes out there about what works and what doesn't but I want to know why it works because mm-hmm. when you understand why it works you can use that creatively mm-hmm. to do something that nobody else is doing mm-hmm. I think um, that's, well, that makes sense yeah yeah and it the um one of the attributes to great artists I feel is curiosity and I think it's that curiosity that that has you looking for the why of these things why does an artist need to know that and then you you're not taking someone's word for it you're experimenting with it and trying it out right right i think that's yeah, I, don't, I don't um whenever anybody stands in front of a classroom and says you have to do it this way uh-huh 
one to say yes. I'm not doing it that way. <laughs> um, and I may come back to it. There's a, a paper called Arches Textual that calligraphers recommend. And um, it was recommended for paste papers, which is a decorative paper technique and paper marbling and a lot of other things. And it's mm -hmm. like, I'm not using that paper. Everybody else in the world is using that paper. And my work is going to look like everybody else's if I use that paper. Okay. For years and years, I am not using that paper. Well, then a friend came over to, to for a play date and she brought that paper with her and I used it. And it's like, oh my God, it's so much better. <laughs> I wouldn't use anything else, but I wasn't going to take everybody's word for the fact that that paper was better. Right, right. Oh, that's, that's, I love those, those kinds of adventures. And with your um, workshops, then you, what are some of your topics? Because I bet they're fun topics. Well, um, one topic is finding your muse. Um, oh, I like that. And coming from Picasso's quote, the muse will find you working. Oh, yeah. That we do a lot of little paintings, like um, four by six, tape off a sheet of paper and do four by six, and then um, timed. Like um, the most I give them is like five, seven minutes to do a painting. Mm -hmm. And um, that's actually a long time for me to do a painting that size. I, I'm, I'm finished up in two or three minutes. And mm -hmm. they're like, no, no, no. After, but that takes, that puts your mind aside. And once you get, it's again, it's a way of getting into the zone of doing all these small paintings. So mm -hmm. that one's been really popular. And then um, one called Emerging Shapes, where you make marks one over the top of the other. And then you kind of, and you start painting and you kind of look for shapes that are coming out of there. Mm -hmm. And then size mm -hmm. shapes using contrast and tonality and color, et cetera. Um, mm -hmm. But most of the classes are just to get people started. It's just a way of, of getting them going on the painting. And then, then they can take off on their own. Right. And then we go back to the original subject. But, mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. um, another one is balancing simplicity versus complexity. Because I love, love, love a very simple abstract where there's you know, a couple marks and it works. Uh -huh. And um, so I, I love that simplicity, but I also love the really complex paintings with all kinds of colors and marks and, you know, the Jackson Pollock and Joan mm -hmm. Mitchell. Mm -hmm. so, um, mm -hmm. Well, I, th I think they have a different purpose, you know, right. and different energy and different things to get across. Uh, since you're an abstract artist and uh, you ever get people that just don't understand or try to understand abstraction and how do you, how do you explain to them what abstraction is? Well, there's a difference between abstraction and abstract painting. I was just explaining this in class yesterday where abstraction is where you take something and you're looking at it and you make it differently. Mm -hmm. uh, where abstract painting is where you start with nothing and it all has to come from you inside. Um, I love realistic painting that is very expressive. I, I dearly love a combination of ultra realism, like almost surrealism and abstract. I, I can't remember his name, but I met this painter up in Canada and he was doing these beautiful nudes. And then they would just float off into this wonderful abstract painting. They were huge. They were like six feet. Um, and that shows me that that painter has a real understanding of, of how things look and a real understanding of, of how people might see them otherwise. Right. Um, so 
a, I told somebody I was sitting in a room full of watercolors at a watercolor show and they were all really nice watercolors. They were all realistic, mm-hmm. but they didn't excite me at all. Right. And I think the reason they didn't excite me is I couldn't read anything in them. My mind completed sure. what I saw. So I wasn't actually seeing what the painter saw. I was seeing what I thought I saw. Right. And in Which the end is the reality of a piece. It's not what the painter wanted. It's what the viewer, what the viewer gets out of it and it starts their imagination. So uh, that's kind of, you know, as a, as a realist that, that's been a big fan of abstraction, it's made me a better realist because I think about the space and the things I draw in more of an abstract way. And yours, and I haven't seen a lot of your work, um, but they hold my attention because you can get lost in every square inch of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, um, because the the smaller areas are really very interesting. Mm-hmm. And then it blows up to a hole, which makes the whole thing really interesting. So, um, and that, you know, certainly there's an abstract class that I've taught where people go through a magazine and cut out a square inch and then blow that up in the, you know, two by three feet or something and make it abstract. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That seems a little bit mechanical and, mm-hmm. you know, realist, realist teachers sometimes say, Oh, you know, you're painting this area. And if you're looking close enough, you're painting an abstracted area of realism you right. know, in a small, it's not the same as abstraction. No, that's not abstract. Start towards it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I just I want um, I want people to complete their viewing of the painting um, with what they want to see, but mm-hmm. I don't want them to come in with a preconceived idea of yeah. what all that's like. Do you title your works? I do, but it's a pain. <laughs> yeah, I do too. I like it, but it, it can be a pain. Uh-huh. Yeah, I think the, the writer in me like died off several years ago or something because it's Jesus <laughs> like I don't know. But somebody said to me at the last Essex um, art walk, they said you have some really interesting titles to your paintings, which I don't find them interesting at all. I just um, I find that um, I've been painting a lot of things that look mountainous, and I do a lot of horizon line stuff. And mm-hmm. last year I was in both. Um, New Mexico and Italy with the mountains. I, I just find that coming through my work a lot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I've been using the towns there, et cetera, for paintings, even though they weren't painted while I was there. But I, I see the influence of those areas definitely coming through. Well, the influence of color, shape. Right. Without trying to reproduce it, but just, you know, mm-hmm. how you right. felt about it. The atmosphere of the place seems to be coming. Sure. sure. Mm-hmm. Travel for artists is so important so that you can gather material and it'll come out years later but it will pop out right it is i think very important i think and i try when i am traveling with artists um to um take walks and have them see um things that they wouldn't ordinarily see last year um in italy we i had everybody put an app on their camera and um i bought this little two by three inch printer so they, I said, oh. pick a theme. I said, it can be, you know, doorknobs or windows or sewer grates or 
something that you ordinarily wouldn't be drawn to. I said, I don't want like 10 gazillion pictures of the mountains. We all want to see, we all see the mountains. We all want to take pictures of them. I said, but I want to see the details of where you are and what makes this culture different from the American culture. So they did that. And we made little books out of them. Sounds interesting. That does sound really fun and interesting. So yeah, you um, touched again on one of my questions here about uh, your European workshops. You have two of them coming up this year. I do. We're going to France in May, the end of May, um, to Haute du Baron, um, which is southeast France, and that's near Toulouse. You fly into Toulouse, and it's near the cave paintings. We're going to go see the cave paintings, which I'm really excited about. That's like the earliest writings and drawings ever. Yes. And uh, we're going to a pastel factory. So basically, when we do those things, we spend about half the time touring and half the time in the classroom. Mm -hmm. But at the, at the Haute du Baron, it's a big old chateau that everybody stays in the chateau. Mm. There's like lovely, I haven't been there, but I've heard it described as lovely gardens. He tells me the calla lilies and the roses will be in bloom. So we're going to do abstracted florals mm. and start flowers and some of the people like some people um their spouses come and their spouses try to take the class so i have to really be able to gear it towards an advanced painter and a beginning painter mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Start flowers and look at the color and the tonality etc we'll do that and um so i anticipate lots of walks in the gardens and um, yes uh, and i know last year when you were in europe you put a wonderful video of one of the field trips i believe it was in italy Mm -hmm. um, it was a printing on fabric, I believe. Right. In Italy, we go to a, a small province, I guess. I don't know what they call them over there. It's called the Mark. And um, it's, um, kind of, it's kind of central, kind of east eastern Italy. But mm -hmm. um, this year, last year and this upcoming year, um, instead of just touring the area, again, I want, to, I want people to see it through the artist's eyes. So um, my tour guide, Piero, I had him seek out various artisans and the printmaking was one that he was a fourth generation printmaker. Um, so he had all the old blocks that his family had carved over the year, these wooden blocks, and he made his paint with rust. So that oh, was wow. interesting to me. His pigment was actual rust. And he showed us the process of making the paint. And then we each, each printed, so he had uh, blank um, towels and aprons and um, even bedspreads. He had blank, that um, nobody printed a bedspread in class, but people purchased his bedspreads that he had. So it was, it was an amazing experience. And then the other experience we had, we went to Fabriano, which was about an hour away mm -hmm. and we made paper in Fabriano. Oh, wow. This paper maker and beautiful rag paper we made, he had wonderful pulp. And um, he had a system down pat where he dried it in a heat press and we were able to take our paper with us right away. Yeah. He showed us how to put um, wires in it and he showed us how to put textures with, with doilies and lace. But he made his textures with a glue gun. So they were all original textures in his paper and he let us use oh, those pencils. Mm. But he was so passionate about what he did when he talked to us about his art and he said, and your art, he stood there and cried oh. about passionate oh. in art and talking about the passion. And then we went to his studio where we just basically bought him out of everything he had. 
<laughs> oh, that sounds I got a stack of his paper um, to make books with. So oh, that was wow. so this year we are going to marble paper. Mm-hmm. Well, and this is at the end of September. So we're going to marble paper um, for one afternoon and we're going to um, do some kind of book binding at the um, University of Urbino. Urbino is very close to where we are, has a book binding college. So we're going to do some sort of book binding workshop over there. Mm-hmm. So plus in Italy, you spend all your time eating. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Talk about conversations around the dinner table. Um, oh, wow. um, Piero, our guide, is also a wine and food guide. And he knows all the best restaurants and he takes us to all the best restaurants. And we oh. sit two two and a half hours and drink wine the whole time and it's amazing one of my students called me up he was um well he was a husband of a student and he's a writer and he um is sponsoring a wine tour over there with piero and uh-huh. he called me up to find out about it and he said did it occur to you that we were going to eat for like five hours a day <laughs> i said well this is italy that's kind of what you do um <laughs> you know we would we would go to dinner at at seven o'clock and we'd still be sitting there at at, at 10 o'clock at, at the dinner uh, table. My feet were on the sleeve, like I needed to move um, from the dinner table, but then everything was absolutely delicious. And Piero is all inclusive. So all of that was paid for. That's oh my cool. gosh. Oh, that sounds so fun. So you yeah. do you have room in both of them at this point? The France? I do have room in both of them. There's yeah. only like one or two more places in the France one, but there's uh-huh. plenty of Italy is Italy is bigger. It's a bigger, it's a hotel you stay in. Oh, okay. So, more rooms yeah. there. Looks like the dates for your France are May 22nd to the 28th. That's not that far away. And no. then the Italian is September 17th to 23rd. A little Correct. more planning time for that one for folks. Wow. How how do you come about these opportunities? Do the do the people over, you know, in Italy and France contact you and say, hey, we want to work. Or is there a network that you work through? Um, <laughs> I'm just curious. I get all of the above. So uh-huh. I get I get contacts from different places who saw that I've taught overseas, and they'll contact me via my website. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I get two or three of those a year. Um, uh-huh. Pierre. So I went to Ireland. Was my first trip overseas. It was about uh-huh. four five years ago. And I was not happy with the tour guide. It was a company that had approached me. Uh-huh. And um, there are certain things that I want. And one is because it's just me. I don't have a spouse. So I want somebody that's going to manage my people and take care of my people. Yes. My people in Ireland weren't taken care of to what I thought they should have been. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't want to go back there. So my studio mate says, well, you need Piero. I said, well, who's Piero? She goes, well, he's uh, in charge of, he takes art tours on this Italy trip. And so um, I called him and he said, any friend of Marion's is a friend of mine. Uh-huh. And we went over and the first year I only had like four people. Uh-huh. And then through last year I had 19 people. Oh my gosh. Wow. So, um, it's, it's been fabulous. Um, and Piero, Piero is the reason for those people. He's, he makes everybody feel safe. Everybody feels cared for. Mm-hmm. Um, these needs are met. So, I mean, people have gone to the hospital. People have just gone to the pharmacy because they've got a cold. People mm-hmm. have had to get off the bus because they're sick. Um, and he's just right there taking care of everybody. And one person 
cried last year. She was so tired and she felt so bad and she started crying. And he goes, nobody cries on my tours. But yeah, he, he makes sure that every single person is um, doing fine. And he hired an assistant last year. So we had mm-hmm. extra help. And, um, uh, Piero is from that area of Italy. Uh-huh. He's married to an American. Um, but they they moved back there to Italy last year, so he's living there. And so his command of English isn't it's good, but it's not the best. So he hired a person who speaks fluent English, and she did help with some translation, mm-hmm. like the um, the print guy didn't speak English at all. Oh, and it's hard for Piero to hard for Piero to translate because there's words that he would never. Here. Right, right. Not like ordering a meal. It's you know, it's explaining right. how you paint out of rust. So, right. um, so that, that was very helpful too. That that we had um, her along with us. So. Uh huh. Super. So, yeah, so it. Um, I. Um, uh, Piero has been absolutely wonderful for me, and and people mm-hmm. just love him and his family, and mm-hmm. um, back just to see him, if nothing else. In fact, somebody did go see him. Um, during the off season one time and met him and his <laughs> kids for dinner. So. Oh, wonderful. So the students you have, do they come from America or is there people from Europe that take your classes? Or It's all been people that I know, students that have studied with me. Okay. Uh-huh. So, okay. I won't say it's all people I know, but there have been a couple who have just picked it up from the web now and then mm-hmm. that I had not met before, but, you know, they at a group like that, they soon become your best friend. But now nobody from, um, there are some people that I know through the calligraphy world in Europe and um, South Africa and places, and they have talked about coming. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Nobody has come yet, but um, it's yeah. it's pretty much on the artist to do the marketing. Yeah. Yeah. And to find the people. And that's that's the really hard part is because it's a big investment. To, mm-hmm. It is plus the airfare and it's and I feel a great responsibility to those people that they have a good trip because right they've just you know for some it's a trip of a lifetime and they won't get to do it again so mm-hmm. is it quite hectic for you or is it relaxing at all or is it um it's not hectic no. um it's um like I said Piero takes care of busing the people and getting them from the airport and I don't have to do any of that and the uh-huh. same William at Hope Baron, he does all that. Um, so um, it is sometimes in Italy with the five hours of eating a day, hard to fit in the workshop thing. <laughs> so, and um, Carol takes the spouses off someplace um, to go see something else while we're in class. So they're not sitting there bored. Mm-hmm. So um, his assistant or his wife then takes us to lunch or whatever. So the one time I said, can we keep lunch down to just an hour? And she said, "Oh, sure, sure, no problem." In Italy, you can't work at all. She ordered all the courses, and and um, Mm. um, and you don't go to a country that has bad food. No, no, no. I just don't know any. Not in Europe, I don't. Yeah, yeah. I am. Yeah, I. I find you were talking about marketing, artist marketing, your own events, really, and uh, your website. I have to commend you. It's very. it's very easy to navigate. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, it's really nice. I did that myself. Wow. I it really takes a lot to keep it. it up, doesn't it? It does. And I do have a virtual assistant that helps keep it up. 
Okay. Uh, because, but somebody said to me, it's your home and you have to keep it clean for guests. Yeah. And oh, that, mm-hmm. that really sat with me because it really is. It's really where people go look for you. Yes, you're and right. Somebody else just said to me, um, well, I didn't think, um, I didn't think I had to do any more mailings because everything's social media now. Well, that's not entirely true. It's no. my last online class. I just put it up on social media before I sent out my mailing. Mm-hmm. And I got 15 people from the um, social media uh, listening for the online class, but I got 30 more from my mailing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. People. Yeah online class which is a big one um mm-hmm. it was mark making so it, it appealed to painters and calligraphers so right um you know that the first year of covid i was so busy trying to learn teaching on zoom and all that stuff that my work kind of laxed that whole year but for some reason i sold more work that year than any other year mostly through facebook which surprised me. And then you didn't have to give the gallery a cut and all that kind of stuff. Right, right. That worked kind of nice. Yeah, that's the biggest weakness in my career is I don't sell a lot of work. I was in this gallery and I was selling like a piece a month from there. So that was pretty good. Mm-hmm. It just closed. So I'm working on getting into this other gallery now. Mm-hmm. Um, that that came up. I got COVID. I went out to meet them, and I got COVID the next day. So I've had it. Haven't had a chance to follow through uh-huh. with them. But um, like I said, I need to enter shows, which um, it's always like I'm asking somebody to go pick something up or drop something off. Or um, well, there's online shows, and I've been doing a fair amount of those. Uh, I have mixed feelings on it. You know, when you see it, when you see an image on a screen. It doesn't transfer very well, especially if you have texture, real texture, and you know, and then you see it on screen. The size relationship changes, and I, I get it, it's okay, but it's not all right. that either, you know. And it's different colors for everybody depending on what their monitor is. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Yeah. My story on so I think anytime you get one generation past the painting. Um, it loses something and in Michigan I owned a frame shop and mm-hmm. we did G clay prints for people mm-hmm. so we had a G clay print made of um, some remote artist work um, and um, I she came to pick it up and I opened it up and she said oh I was hoping those flowers were a brighter yellow and I was just like no problem. <laughs> and I took it in the other room. I had a studio in the building and I, and I brightened up the flowers on the G clay print. But the minute I put my hand to that print, I felt it come alive. Oh, wow. The G clay print that just, it just was a print. It just didn't have that energy that you get a sense when you look at an original painting, mm-hmm. but it was, it knocked me off my socks. I just, I was like, wow, that's really different. Mm-hmm. That is a different approach. Absolutely. Huh? Well, you know, we artists have so many different hats we have to wear that it's hard to, to do it all. And I'm just so impressed with what you are doing, Jacqueline, and you're heading off to the West coast next in a week or so. Yeah. Yeah. So I do 
a retreat with the Calligraphy Guild in San Francisco every year, the first week in March. And mm-hmm. I actually, I have a daughter that passed away. And um, when she got sick, I was on that retreat in San Francisco. Uh-huh. And so, and she, I, um, she died. I got home before she died, but I go back to the retreat in San Francisco every year mm-hmm. just to have my quiet time and to remember our good times with her. Mm-hmm. Uh, and just do it and kind of in her memory to honor her well, so I'm that sorry to he- i'm sorry to hear that mm-hmm. yeah she was a disabled child there's real magic about her so mm-hmm. we all heard her but um so i go there and just um i work with my word i i think yes. about her um but then in order to pay for that i have to teach class while i'm out there right <laughs> so, right um, class down at work of heart studio down in um, san jose um so a work of heart it is h-e-h-a-r-t um mm-hmm. and i've been there before and she has a wonderful studio and um so and then i get my week five days at the retreat center and it's a silent retreat it's really interesting to work in a room full of people that are silent oh i bet it's um there's no teacher involved you just take what you want to work on and they're mostly calligraphers. I usually paint, but there's they're mostly calligraphers. And um, some people will bind books. Some people will do calligraphic broadsides. Um, mm-hmm. um, there's and then you talk at lunch and you talk at dinner and you talk in the evening. Mm-hmm. Um, there's no talking. They call it the scriptorium. There's no talking in the scriptorium whatsoever. Like between um, ten and twelve thirty, and then um, two and five, you don't talk at mm-hmm. all. And elsewhere in the retreat center, um, you can talk quietly, but you're supposed to talk and walk quietly. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. the and there's beautiful gardens and great places to take walks. It's up in San Rafael at um, the Dominican College up there. And it's just amazing. I would love to run one of those for painters just to have that silent time to paint and, and work and uh-huh. but still be in the company of people. I mean, I work alone all the time. Um, and, um, but, um, like you ask about the music, you can't listen to music unless, mm-hmm. unless you, um, it's not into headphones much. So, mm-hmm. yeah, That's, that sounds like a, a, you should do that, Jacqueline. You should organize one of those. That'd be amazing. To oh, yeah. in the room. So, well, gosh, you've given us so much food for thought and so many ideas for travel. Um, can you remind us of your website address again, Jacqueline? I'm going to put it in the show notes. JacquelineSullivan.com. JacquelineSullivan.com. Perfect. It it links to anything that you might want to know. There's the European classes are up there and the work of heart classes up there. They're all linked Mm -hmm. there. And I'll be in Pensacola in October. Okay. Uh, that's a that's a big one. That's a week long one, which is wonderful. When I can get my hands on people for a week, it makes me so happy. Oh, it sounds <laughs> exciting! I can get them past where they are usually. That's right. You have some concentrated time. Yeah. Well, yeah. thank you so much, Jacqueline, for joining us today. Really appreciate it. Good to see you. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, it's okay. nice seeing you again too. Yeah. Let me know if you come to Cincinnati. Sure will. Sure will. I sure will. All right, everybody. We'll see you on our next episode. Bye for now. Bye, everybody. Bye. Set your sights on the summer of 2024. Our sponsor, Golden Apple Studio and Residency, is accepting 
applications for that time period. Nurture your creativity in the midst of spruce forests and granite ledges on the Atlantic coast. Their sweet cottages will have you sleeping soundly and ready to have a productive and inspiring day of pursuing your creative process. For more information, contact director and artist Shelly Stevens at snstevens at goldenapplestudio.com. That's snstevens at goldenapplestudio.com. Thanks again for being our sponsor, Shelly. Thank you for listening. You can find our past and future episodes at anchor.fm, Spotify, and Apple Podcast. Be sure to follow us on our Facebook page, Art Ladders, The Creative Climb with Valerie Allen and Armin Mersman. Special thanks to our producer, Taylor Kramer of Cold Shower Media. And check out our websites, ValerieAllenArt.com, ArminMersman.com. Stay creative, stay curious, and we'll see you next time.